The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with your host, Ty Maynard. We're the starting point for sales professionals and business owners who want to gain more clients, score higher margins, and not be left behind in sales and business. Now, here's Ty Maynard. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the show. Welcome to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. I am your host, Ty Maynard, and we're going to continue, as we do every week, in our quest to help you be the best in sales, in business, and life. And we're going to continue where we left off last week. Uh, last week's show was titled Ninja Strategies for Seven Deadly Buyer Negotiation Tactics, Part 1. So this is Part 2. And last time, we talked about some counterproductive behaviors that the other party you may be negotiating with may use. And and, and the, the goal of these counterproductive behaviors or these behaviors is to keep you off of your game, to keep you somewhat rattled, to, to cause you to make decisions that clearly will not be in your best favor, but will be to their advantage. And what we want to do is give you the tools to arm yourself to protect yourself, your company, your margins, your commissions, your profitability. Uh, negotiations is an interesting thing. And, and keep in mind, the, the real goal of any negotiation is for both parties to walk away feeling like they were successful, that it was a good negotiation. And that's what we want to do. Uh, in many cases, a lot of times when I work with uh, people who haven't had any nego- negotiations training, they normally feel when they walk the way that they were taken advantage of. And we want to give you some tools to, to prevent that. So this particular show, we're going to continue to talk about uh, buyer tactics that as we go through them, you're, you probably recognize some of them uh, as, as tactics that help to erode your margins. We're going to also talk about how to negotiate as a team. Team negotiations can be extremely rewarding, uh, fulfilling, but if you don't understand team negotiations, it could come across really, really bad and it can be, it can be, the outcome cannot be good. All right. So what is a successful negotiation? The criteria for a successful negotiation is basically when both sides feel a sense of accomplishment. They feel like they got what they wanted. Both sides feel the other side genuinely cared. Both sides feel the other side was fair. Each side would deal again with the other party. And last but not least, each side feels that the other side will uphold their portion of the agreement. So uh, let's get into team negotiations. And let's start by talking about basically 
if you could personally identify the participants you would want to have on the other party's team, let's talk about if you have any influence, who you would like to see on their side. Uh, first and foremost, you'd like to see anyone on their side that is an advocate for you or your company or your services or products. These are people who trust you. They respect your organization's uh, products and services. So advocates. You also would like for them to have any technical experts uh, because today technology plays a role in just about every aspect of business. It's amazing. So if they, if they need technical experts, we want to have them on site because we don't want them to have to, to take a time out to then call them or to try to find them or, uh, or make them accessible. We want to have them readily available. You want to actually have decision makers, people who can actually make a decision as a part of their team in the negotiations because you don't want influencers because now they have to go back to the decision makers and take all of your information where it will be better if they heard it from the horse's mouth. And also any end users whose presence might facilitate problem solving as you work through various aspects in the negotiation. Now, the individuals that you want on your side from your organization, again, you want your own technical experts if it's that type of negotiation, and you want people, uh, experts who can respond sensibly and think creatively to any situation that can arise. We always are thinking in a negotiation, how can we make this work? That's the question. Not can this work, how can we make this work? Can this work has all types of doubts associated and gets us nowhere because our wheels are spinning. How can we make this work promotes and presents all types of possibilities. You want people on your team whose status or authority matches that of the customer's attendees or the other party's attendees. I've seen negotiations not go as well because they may, the other party may have had decision makers, uh, top executives uh, as a part of their team. And then the other team has maybe the sales representative and someone else who is of a a lower, lower ranking from their organization. The other party may feel like your company is not taking this as serious if they don't have other representatives who have status or authority or who can actually make decisions instead of having you having to go and report back. Now, please make a note of this. Only those who can contribute to a win-win agreement should participate in a negotiation. Uh, So basically, too many people or the wrong people can actually hinder the resolution of differences. It's been interesting in my career when I was in corporate America, uh, I found this sometimes both with presentations yeah, once uh, individuals in your organization found you were going to be giving a big presentation, it was interesting, or even a negotiation, it's interesting how many times somebody said, oh, you're going to give the XYZ company presentation today? Oh, I, I, would, I think I want to come sit in on that. Oh, you're going to have the uh, XYZ, you're going to be negotiating with XYZ company? You know, I think I'd like to come sit in on that. And no, <laughs> if they don't have a role that they can play, and most importantly, a role that can be beneficial 
it's best that they not attend. Uh, and even the individuals that are attending that are at a high level, if they're attending the negotiation with your organization, I would highly recommend you give them an ex- executive summary. Bring them all the way up to date on all of the things that has transpired to this point in time uh, and even tell them their role and what you'd like for them to, to, to do and say. Uh, I saw a situation, I, I didn't see it firsthand, but I know of a situation that happened with a, a company because they had the president of the company show up and apparently did not give him an executive summary. So he walked into the meeting and he said, hey, you know, I'm president of XYZ company and this is a, a large billion dollar company. And he said, I just want to thank you for coming to our facilities and I hope that we're able to work things out. So he said, so do you uh, you guys have any projects going on? Um, what type of business are you in? He clearly had no insight into the individuals that came to his organization to negotiate, and they took it as an affront. They they felt like they were not being taken serious. Now they went to the another company's site while they were in town, also to discuss with them and and, and to negotiate with them, and they were really really impressed with them because the CFO for the other company. When she came in, she thanked them for the opportunity. She also said that, you know, she had been following their company and she had really been impressed with their growth. And she just thought it was amazing. Some of the new products and ventures that they had uh, partaken of. So she was showing her knowledge of them. And I don't, I don't probably don't even have to tell you which company they did business with. And, on a sidebar, after the business was done, they told about the, the nightmare situation at the other company, and they also commended her on her doing her homework. And basically, her homework was an executive summary that was given her that she actually read by some of the sales representatives in her organization. So that's what we want to do. And as far as choosing a site... I kind of like to have it at the customer's location, uh, either a neutral place, but my preference really and truly is to have it at the customer's location for a couple of reasons. The customer is going to be more comfortable, and therefore, if they are more comfortable, people have a tendency to be more open when they feel comfortable. Also, it gives the customer access to their technical experts or decision makers if they need to take a time out and and collaborate. It also gives you an out of not having access to people or information. Uh, Sometimes we may need a time out and we may need to break in order to think through or rethink our strategy or our positioning. So it kind of gives us an out in that situation. All right. So let's talk very quickly about uh, team negotiations. Now, a couple of things about team negotiations. One of the things I highly recommend is that you do everything in your power to avoid imbalance. And when I say imbalance, you want to kind of have both sides even. Uh, One of the things I recommend is, for example, if you are good at negotiations, 
Uh, one-on-one is ideal. You negotiating against another individual is ideal. Uh, if you're good, if you're really good, you against maybe two other people from another company. Okay, that can potentially work. I would never, ever recommend you try to negotiate one you, yourself, one person against three people. Uh, they, it's going to be ugly. It's not going to be good because you're not going to have really have a chance to think. You're going to be at a tremendous disadvantage. Uh, and on the opposite side, uh, as I said, one-on-one is ideal. If you have two people on your team, you and someone else, and you're negotiating against one person from the other team, that person has a tendency to become somewhat aggressive because they're concerned about the numbers. They're outnumbered. And I would, I would rarely ever, ever, never, 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 ever, never take three people from your team to one person on, that, uh, on someone else's team. It's just not going to work out. Now, I have found myself at times when I thought it was just going to be me and someone else or me and uh, two other people. And when I got there, there are three people, four people, and this is an actual negotiation, okay? Uh, In a situation like that, all I'm going to do is gather information. I'm going to gather information uh, of what their demands are, what they're looking to to get out of the situation. If at all possible, I'm trying to get them to prioritize it. And what I will tell them is they've given me a lot of good information. And what I will do is take this back to my team and schedule a time for us to reconvene so we can talk about how we can make this a successful um, enterprise for both companies. And I'll get out of Dodge. I'll get out of there uh, because I'm not going to be able to to uh, be successful if it's myself against a bunch of people, all right? So avoid imbalance, if at all possible. Now, for the people on your team, I highly recommend that you establish the roles and the goals of each individual that you're going to have on your team, all right? And just like in a football game, there's only one quarterback, There's only one quarterback on the field at any given time in a football game. You may have multiple tackles, guards, running backs, um, uh, linebackers, defensive ends, but one quarterback. Each team, your team should have one spokesperson, and no one speaks out of turn. That that spokesperson speaks, okay? Uh, And we're going to talk about it. It's time for our first break. Time is really flying by. But I want to give you an example uh, of what can happen when people speak out of turn and you aren't speaking through your quarterback. So it's time for us to take a short break. This is Ty Maynard, and you're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? 
Listen for Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. If you want to reach Ty Maynard or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to Ty at TyMaynerGroup.com. That's T-Y-E at T-Y-E-M-A-N-E-R Group.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard. And by the way, I am your host, Ty Maynard. And our topic today is negotiations. And the title is Ninja Strategies for Seven Deadly Buyer Negotiation Tactics. We're going to start covering those tactics again very shortly. Right now, we're talking about how to successfully manage team negotiations. And a couple of things we said before the break was, first of all, we want to avoid imbalance on either side. Uh, you don't want to show up by yourself to negotiate with three people. It's going to be very uncomfortable for you. And you don't want to show up with three people to negotiate with one person because uh, they that can put them on the defensive and they're going to feel like they have to protect themselves. Now, we're talking about the quarterback, uh, each negotiating team should have someone who actually speaks for the team. All right. Uh, and you do not want to talk out of, out of turn. That person speaks. And a perfect example, this is uh, kind of funny. I'm going to take you back a ways for a minute. If you've ever seen the, the, the movie, The Godfather, there was a, a perfect scene in that movie that shares what I'm talking about. But at any rate, there was a situation where there was a guy named Salazzo. He wanted to meet with the Godfather. Um, the Godfather was Marlon Brando. And they met. And then this guy was trying to get the Godfather's family to introduce drugs into their family. And the Godfather said to him, you know, I, I, normally I would do the accent, but uh, I don't think it's as effective over radio, I don't think. But the Godfather said, you know, I appreciate uh, what you what you want to do and you considering my family. He said, but you know, drugs is a dirty business and I just don't think that's for my family. He said, now it doesn't matter what you do as long as what you do does not affect my family. And at that point in time, his son that they call Sonny said, hey, wait a minute. 
are you trying? And the Godfather told him to be quiet. He told his son to be quiet, and he then he looked at Salazzo and said, "You know, I must apologize for my son." He said, "I guess I spoiled my kids to the point where sometimes they talk when they should really be listening." And at that point in time, he said, "Nevertheless, my decision is final, and I wish I wish you much success in your venture." At that point, Salazzo gets up to leave, and everyone's leaving the room, and then. As Sonny's leaving the room, he says, Sonny, come here. He said, what's the matter with you? He said, I think your brain is turning to mush. He said, never let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking. Now get out of here. All right. So now, uh, hopefully you remember that part in the movie. Now let's go forward. Let's fast forward. A few days later, the Godfather is leaving his office and he stops at the fruit stand and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, he sees two men approaching him with their, their hands in their pockets. So he turns around to run. These men chase him, pull out the gun, and start shooting him. All right? Uh, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. And then Salazzo picks up uh, one of the attorneys who was shopping for Christmas. And he said, hey, Consigliere, take a ride with us. And he said, don't worry. And if... if uh, I wanted you dead, you'd be dead by now. Get in the car. So he told the attorney, he said, hey, I got some bad news for you. The godfather is dead. He said, yeah, we got him outside his office. And he said, Sonny was hot for my deal. I could tell. He said, but now your job is to get Sonny to cool down and, and accept my deal. So because Sonny spoke out of turn, the guy saw an interest and he felt that if he eliminated the Godfather, he would get Sonny to come along. Now, that's an extreme example, but that does show you what can happen if you're in a negotiation and someone says something from the other team and someone on your team speaks out of turn and it does not come from the quarterback. Now, even if it's something that's really appealing and interesting that you feel your team needs to discuss and maybe it's something you consider, you should consider, don't speak out of turn. Uh, a good thing to do is to have some type of high sign. You know, the third base coach in baseball has all types of signs that, <laughs> that indicates to the runner on first base what he wants them to do. Uh, I recommend you have some type of high sign also in negotiations. I don't know, and I don't want to sound corny. I don't know if it's something as simple as tapping your pen a couple of times on the table. I don't know if it's as simple as clearing your throat. But it, it needs to be something that lets your team know you feel that you should get together and talk about what was just proposed. All right, so let's talk very quickly about taking a timeout. And that's that's important. In negotiations, it's critical to do what we call taking a timeout. Uh, it's also known as a caucus. All right. You need to regroup with your team and talk about how you move forward. All right. So some of the rules for a timeout is this. Uh, as a rule, timeouts should take no more than, than 15 minutes. All right. You want to have a brief conference with your team. You want to get everyone's viewpoint on your team quickly and, conci and concisely. You want to assess your progress. Look at your game plan. And by the way, you should, you should have a written game plan 
of what you want to accomplish. Because when you get into the throes of negotiations, first of all, a lot of people have a game plan. And then once they get into the negotiations, they throw that game plan out the window. It's just every man for him or herself. Look at your game plan that you wrote down. Assess where you are. Look at what you wrote down as possible options. Okay, if this arises, I think this might be a good direction for us to take the negotiations. Explore your options. No arguing. They should never see that you or anyone on your team are in disagreement. Okay, now's the time to have your poker face. Summarize your next steps. And then you want to re-engage the customer's team. All right. Now, one of the major rules of negotiations is this. Whoever takes the time out should reopen negotiations. So, for example, let's say for a moment you propose something to your the other party and they say, well, let us take a moment to evaluate, assess this, and, and, we'll, we'll, and let, we'll come back to you. Okay, so the, your customer, the other party, they're taking the timeout. When they come back in from the timeout, allow them to reopen the, the negotiation. All right, don't you say, well, while you were out, we came up with some other things that we would like to give you. <laughs> Just sit quiet. Even if the silence persists, Wait until they re-engage in negotiations. And one of the toughest things for, for many sales professionals, and I'm sure business professionals alike, is to be silent. That silence is deafening. And it seems like it's going to last forever. And a lot of times, because we can't stand the silence, we'll propose something and we'll give away something that really wasn't necessary. Okay, and now the longest I have sat in silence in a negotiation uh, was probably three or four minutes. And that was when uh, the other party came back in. They just sat there. And it feels like an eternity. It feels like two hours. One minute feels like, feels like 90 minutes. Okay, so what do you do during that time frame? Well, my recommendation is you look at your notes, uh, take notes, write things down. I would not recommend doodling, especially if they can see it. Uh, but that will help you make it through the silence. All right. So those are some some things regarding team negotiations. I like team negotiations because more heads are better than one. And someone else can, uh, you can think more creatively if you have more people. But as we said, make sure you have the right people. Make sure you have the right people. All right, so let's, let's get into some of the, the deadly tactics that, we're, that buyers use. One is the bogey, and uh, I'll, I'll, we talked about that at the end of last week's show. But I'll kind of cover that again very quickly before our break. And when we come back from the break, we'll complete the rest of the, the tactics. But the bogey is basically a tactic when they tell you that they, they only have a certain amount of money budgeted for your project. And basically, we were the, the ones who got ourselves in trouble with the bogey because we uh, have a tendency to give initial pricing for any type of project. All right. Uh, budgetary pricing, they say. And and normally we go in really low because we want it to be appealing to them. But then 
as we continue to talk about the project, we add more things on, add more services, more capabilities, then all of a sudden the price goes up as we add these things on. And then they say, well, that's exactly what you we need that you just quoted. But you know what? That's way over our budget. So you need to do something about that because we can't go back and ask for more money. We just can't do that. So what are you going to do about this? So they make their situ their issue our problem. All right. And as I said last week, keep in mind in many instances, uh, when I interviewed and surveyed procurement people, they said they normally add ten to fifteen percent on to the initial number they gave us, knowing that there are going to be changes. So the number the the, the money is potentially already there but they don't want to give it up if they don't have to also keep in mind that the most important number on a budget is that bottom line number therefore they're going to have line items on it that can be adjusted okay so they may be able to take from line item number two and add to the 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 line that your particular project is on or they may be able to take a little bit from line item number four and add but the goal is about how creative can I be? How creative can I think to navigate through the negotiation? So it's time for us to take another break. Again, the fastest hour of the week. So what we're going to do is when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about negotiation, uh, these deadly tactics. And the next one we're going to talk about is the squish. That's right, the squish. So it's time for us to take a short break. This is Ty Maynard, and you're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something on the Voice America Business Channel. We will talk to you again on the other side of the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Our workplace is dynamically changing. How do you stay ahead of the curve with respect to learning and training? Tune in every week to The Future of Workforce Learning and Development with host Pamela Robinson. You'll learn about real-world strategies, solutions, and resources that will showcase these changes and keep you ready for what's next. The Future of Workforce Learning and Development is heard live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Business owners, do you run your business or does your business run you? Put yourself on the road to success by tuning in to Success Unchained with hosts Anthony and Julie McGloin. At last, discover how to overcome your biggest challenges, take control of your business, and achieve the results you've always dreamed of. Find out how with our resident master business coach and world-class guest experts. Transform the nine key areas of your business and unchain your true potential. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. If you want to reach Ty Maynard or today's guest, please call into the program at one 866 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to Ty at TyManerGroup.com. That's T-Y-E at T-Y-E-M-A-N-E-R Group.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard. I am your host, Ty Maynard, and today we are talking about ninja strategies for seven deadly buyer negotiation tactics. So the the second deadly tactic I referenced just before the break is called the squish. And this is a beautiful tactic. And keep in mind, as I, I said in the first show on negotiations back in February, that you are negotiating all the time. Negotiations begin when you meet the client for the very first time. In many cases, they are looking at you and sizing you up, and they're making a determination on, on how they're going to approach this. If they ultimately decide to do business with you, they may be deciding then what they'll use on you, some of the tactics. And a very good tactic uh, that is used by people who are friendly with you, people who you've developed a very close relationship with, is called the squish. All right? Because once you have developed a relationship with the customer, then the need for tactics is greater because still their fiduciary is to their company. Their goal is to get your products and your services, but at the best possible price for their company. So the closer you become to them, the more difficult it may be to negotiate. And when you've developed a close relationship, you believe that you're the person whom the other party wants to do business with. You meet to discuss the opportunity and the buyer says, I am disappointed, Roger, in what you proposed. I am so disappointed. (laughs) You have just been squished. Your first reaction may be, oh, my goodness, what, what could I have done to make this better? Where did I go wrong? The squish is a subtle tactic that plays on the positive relationship you have with the other party. It's powerful because it normally comes without any kind of warning. Now, the way, the best way to counter the squish, instead of scrambling to make amends, just test it to see if it was a tactic. Show the buyer that you are shocked and amazed that he or she would feel that you're trying to take advantage of the relationship. Question the cause of the disappointment and its effect on you doing business together now and in the future. And if the buyer is using your relationship as a foundation for the squish tactic, then your customer will find it tough to abuse the relationship for the sake of negotiating. If the relationship is just a facade to set up this tactic, you'll quickly find this through their explanation. So it's critical that we listen well as we go through the negotiations. And the key is to get them to explain, to talk further about what disappoints them. And you'll be able to discern if you were just squished. Now, another topic, another tactic is to take it or leave it. And a lot of people use this and they don't use it well, really. Uh, I have a lot of people where, it, and, and, and when you get the take it or leave it, don't panic. I know it sounds final. It sounds ominous. And when used in a negotiation, it demands a response. 
Uh, this tactic can even be inflammatory depending on how the offer is stated. And I really don't recommend this as a seller, as a sales professional. The only time you use this is if this is your bottom line, rock bottom, best offer. It's a true statement. You do not use this as a tactic. If you use take it or leave it at present and present it as um, as a best and final offer and the buyer decides to leave it and then you come back again, you've lost all credibility. Now, I, I've had people use this with me and uh, sometimes people may get frustrated because negotiations can, can, can draw out, they can drag out. And people get emo- can get emotional. So the goal is to continue to appeal to their sense of being reasonable, to appeal to their sense of, of fair play. So if someone out of frustration said to me, um, well, Ty, listen, we've been talking about this long enough. This is the best we can do. Take it or leave it. What I may say is, you know, Herb, Oh, I, I I didn't think we were at the point where we'd have to make ultimatums like this. I think we're really making good progress. We've worked hard to, to this. And I think there's a win-win we can both uh, achieve out of this. Both of our companies can achieve. So let's continue to talk through this. And I think we, I think we can make good headway. So I don't really accept. I acknowledge it, the take it or leave it response. But I don't really accept it. Uh, if they said, no, Ty, really. You need to take this or leave it. I'm going to evaluate. I'm going to look at my game plan. And if it's not acceptable to me at that point in time, that's I may have to walk away. If at all possible, even though they told me take it or leave it, I'll still tr- may change my offering. I'll try. Remember, we said in one of the first shows in negotiations, the goal is to try to always offer them something that has high perceived value to them. And low or lower or no cost to us. So instead of just taking the take it or leave it, I may try to offer them something that I think has high perceived value, but no cost to me or low cost to me. Uh, if they are serious, it's take it or leave it, and it's not something I can live with, at that point in time, I'm going to choose to leave it. I'm going to shut the door, but you never want to slam the door because there may be a next time. I may say something, wow, you know, it's unfortunate that at this time we weren't able to come to terms uh, on this particular opportunity. You know, hopefully we will be able to work together in the future. And I would appreciate, you know, another opportunity and I'll be in touch with you. Something to that effect. So leave the door open. All right. So that is the take it or leave it. And I've had people start out with that. I mean, you just can't. It can't go well if someone starts out with, hey, this is all I have. Take it or leave it. It's just not a good way to start. The other one is the crunch. And these are seven deadly words that will drive uh, a salesperson or business owner's aspirations downward very quickly. These seven words are, you've got to do better than that. And sometimes while they're saying, they may even chuckle. When they're looking at your your proposal, (laughs) come on, really? Oh, you've got to do better than that. The hope is that you will assume that they can do better someplace else. They can do better someplace else. So when a buyer pressures you to lower the price, you can say, 
you know, frankly, I'm just unable to do that. I'm going to really have to ask you to be more reasonable. The buyer now feels that maybe what they requested was not fair. Again, your negotiating position is improved, raising your aspiration level. You know, ask if other vendors are offering the same product and service mix at a low price. And if you know the buyer on a personal level, the answer may be a candid one. Now, one of the things that buyers may do at per- periodically, they may say to you, well, yeah, you know, I am working with XYZ company and they are giving me this particular product 3% lower than you. Now, a tactic that buyers use is called cherry picking. All right. So let's say for a moment on this proposal, there are 10 items and you are in good shape on eight items, but they found on two of them, the, the, the competition is 3% lower than you. Cherry picking means they will take those two items that they're lower and make you believe that they're that much lower on all, on the entire project. And this is where your expertise and your knowledge base has to be able to come in. And then, you know, you may have to say, well, I'm, you know, I've been in this industry for a while now, and that seems really, really low. I have to wonder, you know, inadvertently if something was left out. When I was in the, the office furniture industry, I saw one time where someone was lower than me, and when we did, we kind of did an evaluation line by line, we found out that they left out all of the, the light bulbs, which for this bigger prop project turned out to be an additional $80,000 that was, was an supposed oversight on their part. So price is not money alone. And it can be a combination of benefits. And handled profit, pro- uh, properly, it is possible to make an opportunity out of the crunch, okay? What I want you to do before you go into any negotiation is ask yourself, what will I do if the buyer says you've got to do better than that? So I want you to review your proposal and make the buyer compare it item by item with other vendors' offerings. Defend your price as persistently as possible and explain why it makes sense. Don't hesitate. Share stories of the successes others have had with you. You don't have to mention names to prove your argument. Okay? So, the, again, these are tactics, and all of them are just tests in many cases to see if they can erode you, if you'll if you, if you blank on any of these. Another really good one is called the vendor auction. This is where uh, the other party has overtones. And, and, and although, although it's ethical, it's, 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 it's extreme. In this maneuver, the buyer negotiates with two or three other vendors, uh, and he makes sure that you know that the other vendors are being considered. I've seen this done several ways. One way may be they have all of you show up at the same time, so you're all sitting in the lobby. If you know uh, who your competition is in many, in many cities, you may know who your competition is. Or when you go to the sign-in sheet, 
you see that they've already been there before you. You see where they signed in uh, an hour before you came and they signed out and now they're gone. So these are indications that the competition is in there as well. All right. Uh, another thing I've seen is where they may even have on their desk when you walk in the competition's brochures. They may even have their proposals uh, to indicate to you that, you know, you aren't the only one being considered. So you need to make sure you're giving your best and final prices if you uh, want an opportunity of winning this 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 particular job or project. And this tends to lower all of the vendors aspiration levels. OK, now there are reasons why this tactic works. Each seller has usually put a great deal of effort into making a proposal. Thus, each feels that with a little more effort, a few more concessions, this deal can be closed. All right. So what we want to do is use the fact that sellers become anxious when they see this to our advantage. Okay. So know your competition's weaknesses. Sell your strengths. And your benefits request a different meeting date to add confusion to the buyer's tactics. Limit your authority and slow it down. I have a tendency when things, people are trying to speed stuff up, I want to slow it down. When they want to slow it down, I try to move it forward. Okay? So if they are seeing many vendors, that's also a sign that the decision is probably still some time off. All right, so listen, we have one more break. We have a few more uh, tactics to go through, but it's time for us to take our last break. This is Ty Maynard. You're listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with Ty Maynard on the Voice America Business Channel. Stay tuned. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network the way we do banking today continues to evolve no longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers hours today banking is 24 7 it's in the home it's on the go it's digital tune in to breaking banks with brett king for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. If you want to reach Ty Maynard or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
Or you can send an email to Ty at TyMaynerGroup.com. That's T-Y-E at T-Y-E-M-A-N-E-R Group.com. Now, back to the show. Hello, welcome back. You're listening to Forget Patience. Let's sell something with Ty Maynor. And we're talking about seven deadly buyer negotiation tactics. We've covered, I believe, five so far. We talked about the squish, where they try to use that good relationship you have with them. uh, And they say, oh, I'm so disappointed in what you have proposed. And if we aren't careful, we will be real concerned. Oh, my gosh, what did I do? What can I do to make make this better? We talked about the take it or leave it. We talked about the crunch where they say you've got to do better than this. We've talked about the vendor auction where they have you lined up with a litany of your competitors and they make you aware that uh, they are talking to all of you. And we talked about the bogey where it's the budget. You have to do better because of our budget. All right, so the last two that we're going to talk about in this time frame is one called the big pot. The big pot is an awesome negotiation tactic. And basically with the big pot, uh, highly assertive people often use this tactic. All right, and the goal is to force the seller over and over and over and over to say no, 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 no. All right, so basically the first two or three demands they may have are going to be so outlandish, they know you won't be able to do them, and you have to say no. And every time you have to say no to the customer or to the other party, it makes you feel even more uncomfortable. So then when they get to the fourth thing on their list, which is what they really, really want, that sounds so realistic and so easy for you to do that you automatically jump on it. All right. That's the big pot. Now, if you give away some of those other things, that was just gravy to them. All right. So this is an effective method that combines intimidation and multiple demands to expose what is and is not negotiable. All right. It's designed to give the buyer trading room lately. Now, there are two ways that you can counter the big pot. First, you can big pot someone back. All right. And you do this issue by issue. If they ask you for a net 90 day payment, you state that you have quoted 60 days, but your boss wants net 30 days. All right. If they ask you for a thousand dollar a day penalty for late delivery, then you ask for a thousand dollar a day premium for early delivery. And they will likely respond, well, we can't do that. And then you can then explain, well, neither can we. The other way to handle the big pot, and this is a beautiful uh, tech tactic. As a matter of fact, I saw this used with uh, a client of mine where they went and the, and the company had all of these rules. They had a negotiating room. All right. So when they got in the room, they saw all of these rules for negotiating. It says, do not ask us our names. You know, you do not ask us any questions. We ask the questions. But first of all, come on. No one comes up with your rules for the negotiations. If you choose to abide by them and put yourself at a disadvantage, that's up to you. So then they came in from an alternate door uh, and then they just started with the big pot. They wanted all of these unrealistic things. And. The individual from the seller side, 
he took notes and they said, what, how are you prepared to respond to these? And he said, obviously, I'm not prepared to respond to these today. And I, don't, I really don't think you, 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 you expected me to. He said, but me and my team will take these back and look at them one by one. And so we can best determine how we can help you. We need you to prioritize these in order of importance. That's beautiful because if you can get them to prioritize their demands, they'll end up telling you what's really important and what's, what's irrelevant. So, and then he said, when we come back, we'll discuss these as well as some of our own requests. And they had a lot of respect for him because based on how he handled that, and they knew that he understood negotiations. And the next time that he came back for negotiations, it was extremely amenable and they got a lot accomplished. So that's the big part. And the last one we want to talk about is the good guy, bad guy. And we've seen and heard of this, I'm sure, before. This tactic involves two buyers. One is the good guy and the other is the bad guy. The bad guy will do most of the initial talking during negotiation and the good guy will be quiet. Then when the good guy takes over, they appear to be more friendly and more rational. Uh, as a rule, the bad guy's uh, demands are really hard. They're intense and uh, it seems pretty uh, difficult to meet and they're their personality can be hard charging, can be somewhat intimidating, and they're not trying to be your friend. So when they leave, what will happen is the good guy will make amends. I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry they, they, re, they acted that way or came across unreasonable. We really do want to work with you. Uh, I'm going to have a meeting with him again tomorrow or her again tomorrow. I'm just curious, what are some additional things you can do to make this this work for our organization. And they seem so amenable and so easy to work with and friendly. Uh, you'll come up with additional things you can do. Well, maybe we can give you an extra point. Okay, that's good. That's good. What else? What else? Well, maybe we can give you an upgrade uh, in the services. Okay, that's good. That's good. Now, sometimes the bad guy will walk out, they'll say, you know what, they'll, they'll look at your proposal and say, I can't believe you expected us to consider this. There's no way we'll do business with you with a proposal like this. Um, and they'll walk out, and you will be totally dejected. Your, your expectations and your aspirations are lowered. If you walk away, they'll realize, okay, you know what, that was the floor for them. They couldn't do any better. Maybe a day later, a couple of days later, you'll get a call from the good guy. And they will call you and say, hey, come back in and let's let's con let's re let's continue to talk about that. I think there may be some ways we can still work together. They were trying to find out where your floor is and they found out when you walked away. All right. You will rarely ever, probably never get a call back from a bad guy because the bad guy was playing their role, being a bad guy. And then the good guy will call you back and then y'all will work things through. Most importantly, do not let a bad guy intimidate you. Identifying the situation as a tactic will allow you to recognize the real position to be presented by the good guy after the bad guy is gone. And candidly, sometimes I have even just called it. You know, I would say, you know, I, this may sound crazy, but this almost feels like a good guy, bad guy routine. And I'm really, I was really kind of hoping we could just sit down and talk through this so we could walk away both feeling good about this. I've also found sometimes when you just call it for what you see it, then the game kind of stops. So those are seven 
deadly buyer tactics. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you're able to apply this. But as I mentioned uh, last week, there's no way for me to cover all of this in this short period of time. But I have an audio CD package called Don't Take It on the Chin, Negotiate a Win-Win. If you go to tiemanagroup.com and click on the tab for the online store, you will see Don't Take It on the Chin. It's an audio CD package. It has a workbook, and it will cover some of these things even in greater detail to help you in your quest to be a savvy negotiator where you can win And the customer wins as well. You can protect your profitability. You can protect your commissions as well as your margins. As usual, this is the fastest hour of the week. I enjoyed working with you, talking to you, sharing ideas that can help you be more successful in sales, in business. And these skill sets you can also use in your personal life. So we look forward to coming back and speaking with you next week. And in the meantime, in the meantime, forget patience. Let's sell something. Talk to you next week. Thanks again for tuning in to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something. Ty Maynard will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We look forward to you joining us then. In the meantime, forget patience. Let's sell something.